a Faith That Obeys podcast, 063, Awesome Quiet Times. How would you like to take your prayer life to a higher level than you have ever experienced before? How would you like to feel like your time with God was deeper, more intimate, more vibrant, and authentic? That would be awesome, right? Well, in this lesson, you're going to learn two blow-away secrets that will absolutely change the way you pray and the results you experience. Let's go. All good relationships are based on two things, time together and communication. Our relationship with God is no exception. If we want a rich, real relationship with God, then we spend quality time with him by reading his word and praying. These two specific activities can be a pretty good barometer of how well we're doing spiritually. When someone is not spending time with God in prayer and Bible study, they are neglecting the most important relationship a human being can have. To have a great relationship with God, we need to have great quiet times. As always, let's begin by defining our terms. What is a quiet time? Well, as the name suggests, it's a time which is quiet. There are no noises to distract us. There are no electronic devices incessantly beeping. There's no other people around and the environment is somewhat protected from interruption. It is a time we spend alone communicating with God in prayer and allowing him to communicate with us through his word and through the thoughts and ideas which stir our hearts and our imaginations during these times. Communication flows in two directions, to God and from God. Our communication to God is done through our prayers. We tell him what's on our heart. We share our hopes, our dreams, our hardships with him. We let him know what's going on with us, and we offer up adoration, gratitude, and requests for ourselves and for others. Basically, we lay our hearts bare before the creator of the universe in the hope he will hear us and respond favorably. And God does respond. God communicates to us in a variety of ways. During our time alone with him, he communicates with us through his word and those random thoughts which come to mind. That quiet, still voice we all have in our head and our heart. At other times, God may use another person to tell us something we need to hear. Perhaps he may provide an experience, dramatic or mundane, which makes us pause and reflect. So God uses four channels of communication as he's working with us. The word, a person, an experience, and that little voice in our head and heart. Which one would you place at the top of the list as the most trusted and reliable? Obviously the word. We don't completely ignore advice we receive from another person and experience or our inner voice. We take all of these things into account, carefully weighing everything in the light of Scripture. Everything must be filtered through that lens. We must never depend solely on our little inner voice. And an experience is not reliable because your interpretation of the experience is just as good as mine. And the two interpretations can differ wildly. People's advice, opinions, and teachings are just that, their opinion and their teaching, not necessarily what God desires. You must make the final evaluation, and your conclusions must be in harmony with the scriptures. So, having a quality time with God is based primarily on that special alone time 
where we meet with God in his word and in prayer. Time together and communication. So what is prayer? What are we doing when we pray? Let's turn to some scriptures to help us define this term. Exodus chapter 19, verse 17. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Back in the day, the people met with God. He appeared to them in a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of smoke by day. This is probably where the term holy smokes originated. Here's what King David had to say about this meeting with God. Psalm 42, 2. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? In prayer, we are literally meeting with God. That is amazing. A lowly human being can speak to the creator of the universe. And guess what? God wants us to do this. Remember? Ask, seek, and knock. Matthew 7, 9. And this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Matthew 6, 9. And how about Luke 18, 1? Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So without question, God wants to hear from us. Come to think of it, a loving father would not want to hear from his kids. If prayer is how we communicate with God, what's the other half of the activity? What's Bible study? Well, it's just that, a study of the Bible. Okay, so what's study? Let's turn to our old friend Daniel Webster and his amazing 1828 dictionary. Listen to this. Study is the literal setting of the mind and thoughts upon a subject for the purpose of learning what was not known before. Study gives strength to the mind, conversations, and grace. When we study, we give attention to and meditation on an issue. To study is to fix the mind closely upon a subject, to muse, to dwell upon a thought, and endeavor diligently. Studying is done by reading or examining something for the purpose of learning and understanding. It is to consider something attentively and to examine it closely. So if we couple this with Bible study, it imparts to us a greater knowledge, understanding, and wisdom regarding God's nature and the nature of his creation, including ourselves. So, a quiet time is composed of two deliberate and distinct disciplines, prayer and Bible study. Our quiet time is literally a time we meet with God, and without question, it will be the most important meeting you will have on any given day. No other meeting can possibly compare to meeting with the creator of the universe. But there's one little problem with this kind of meeting we can get super distracted very quickly. Let me explain. Do you ever get distracted when you're praying? You know, you're praying for dear old Aunt Katie who's in the hospital and it suddenly pops into your mind, I need to pick up peanut butter today. Where did that thought come from? Suddenly, we're down some crazy rabbit hole chasing after the reason we need peanut butter and oh, it's because we're out and of course, we got to have some smooth, not crunchy, and uh, better get some jelly, too. And suddenly, we've forgotten all about dear old Aunt Katie, and we start kicking ourselves for becoming so distracted. All of those random thoughts tend to make us feel burdened. It feels like they, they pull us totally off track, but the feeling of pressure doesn't come 
from an overwhelming sense of all the things we have to do. Listen carefully. The pressure we feel comes from an overwhelming sense of trying to remember everything. A thought pops into our head which may be very valuable to us and we don't want to forget it and then the pressure's on. Well, here's the first secret in having an amazing time with God. What would happen if we took some paper and a pen into our meeting with the Lord? It's obviously a pretty important meeting, right? If your boss called you into a meeting, what would you do? How would you prepare? Well, you'd probably take a pen and some paper for taking notes, right? When we take that notepad and pen with us into our meeting with God, we've just armed ourselves with an incredibly powerful tool. Every time a random thought comes into your head, jot it down and tell God, thank you for reminding me about that. I'll take care of it for you. All of a sudden, a random thought becomes reminders from God. By taking notes like that, we literally begin building a divinely inspired to-do list of sorts. Instead of struggling to remember stuff, we write it down. God knows your schedule before you do and reminds you of all the cool things he wants you to accomplish that day. You respectfully jot it down and thank God for the reminder. This one little action does something amazing. It earns you the right and ability to forget about it. You no longer need to worry about trying to remember all those things you have on your mind. Once you commit a thought to paper, the pressure is gone. This is an absolutely liberating life hack. And after all, isn't that what prayer is all about? God giving you information and reminding you of things he is concerned about, probably more than you are. I cannot tell you how absolutely liberating it is to have a pad and a pen next to me while I'm on my knees praying. All of those seemingly crazy random thoughts are processed down into a wonderful task list, making my relationship with God even more personal, real, and vibrant. Try it. It will set you free. Now, obviously, the best time to do this activity is in the morning. Let's get our day started on the right foot. Meet with God and get our marching orders for the day. So, does the Bible say anything about having a quiet time in the morning? Yeah, in a huge way. And this is our second secret. Wait until you hear this. Now, before we get there, let me pave a path with a little biblical concept which will be important to this part of the lesson. I want to talk about an interesting biblical principle called foreshadowing. What is foreshadowing? It means to have a warning or indication of a future event. And the Bible is full of these things. Here's an example. 1 Peter 3, 17 through 22. Listen to this. Talking about Jesus, Peter writes, He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit through whom he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. So God saved some people in the days of Noah when the ark was being built. The Bible says, in it, meaning the ark, only a few people were saved. What happened? 
people were saved. By what? By the ark? Yeah, but also by the water. What did the ark do? It saved the people who obeyed God and got in it from the deadly waters of the flood. Peter identifies the water of the flood as a foreshadow. He says this water symbolizes baptism. Which water? Well, the water of the flood. Is baptism a symbol of the flood? No. The flood is a pre-symbol or a foreshadow of baptism. What did the water of the flood do? It wiped out all human life. But it also did something quite amazing, of which it foreshadows even more. It wiped away the sin of the world. What happens during baptism? God wipes away sin. Why does he do this? Well, because we've heard the gospel and made that final decision to obey it by being baptized. We are saved when we obey, just as the people who obeyed Noah were saved. Noah's flood illustrates what would come in the future. Here's another one. I recently heard this one from my pastor friend Tom. In the garden, God gives Adam an amazing and wonderful gift, a beautiful wife. How did he do this? Well, he put the man into a deep sleep, opened his side, removed something, closed the wound, and woke Adam to experience his wonderful new bride. In the New Testament, God puts Christ into a deep sleep, death, opens his side, removes something, and wakes him up three days later to experience his amazing bride, the church. The Old Testament was rigid like bone, the law. The New Testament is put into effect with water and blood. Very cool. Okay, now that we understand what foreshadowing is, here's the foreshadowing that relates to the subject of quiet times, our, our daily time with God. This is a long passage, but there's a huge payoff. Wait for it. Exodus chapter 16, verse 11 through 21. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer, he who gathered much did not have too much. And he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. So here's what was happening. Each morning, everyone gathered as much food as he needed for the day. Then, when the sun grew hot, this food from God melted away. It was no longer available. If you tried to hoard it, it would rot by the next morning. As the King James Version says, it stinketh. 
These in were the rules you had to follow if you were hungry. One, God provided the food in the morning. Two, the food from God had to be collected daily. Three, manna had to be collected before the sun grew hot. And four, the food was spoiled and unusable if it was held over until the next day. Now, flash forward and watch this closely as Jesus makes a stunning claim. John chapter 6, verse 30 through 38. So they asked him, What miraculous sign will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate manna in the desert. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Wow. Jesus just identified himself as manna. If Jesus is the manna, we should probably assume the pattern for enjoying it is the same. God provides the food in the morning. It should be collected daily if you're hungry. We must collect this food in the morning before the sun grows hot and don't try to be sustained the next day by yesterday's food. So, our second secret in taking our time with God to the next level is found in the time of day we meet with God. Without question, the Bible specifically and in no uncertain terms claims there is a best time for this activity. Let me show you even more. Why should we have a quiet time in the morning? Here are seven solid reasons. One, because that's when Jesus did it. Mark 135, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Number two, first fruits. These were an essential part of worshiping God in the Old Testament. When you collected your harvest, you gave God the very first part of it. Since many things in the Old Testament foreshadow the realities of the New Testament, compare the Old Testament first fruits as worship of God to your daily worship of God. Give God the first part of your day. Give God the best part of your day. Now, don't tell me you're not a morning person. You'll see why in a moment. Here's a passage regarding first fruits. Proverbs 3 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim with new wine. This scripture teaches us to enter the land with first fruits, not leftovers. Your time with the Lord is like entering holy ground. Don't squeeze it into your day. Make it a priority. Number three, morning is God's time to examine you. Job 7, 17 through 18. What is man that you make so much of him, that you give him so much attention, that you examine him every morning and test him every moment? Four, David set an example for us. Morning is when David laid his requests before God, and God listened. Psalm 5.3 In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning I lay my requests before you and wait in expectation. 
Psalm 88, 13. But I cry to you for help, O Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Psalm 143, 8. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Psalm 90, verse 5. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning, though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. Now, like I said, don't tell me you're not a morning person. The Bible says you are. Everything is fresh and new in the morning. The Bible says men are like grass. It's dried by evening. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know this to be true. How do you feel when you get home from work? When do you get tired? There's a difference between being sleepy and being tired. Now, most folks sleep at night, but regardless of when we sleep, after sleep, we are refreshed. What's the purpose of sleep? Don't confuse the sleepy-eyed feeling of the morning with being tired. Get that first cup of coffee if you need it and get your day going with God. If you still don't think you're a morning person, perhaps there's another issue you've not considered. Maybe there's really nothing that's exciting you about getting out of bed in the morning. And if that's the case, this lesson is exactly what you needed. You need to stoke your relationship with God and boost it to a level that you have never done before. If meeting with the creator of the universe one-on-one -on -one in the morning does not excite you, nothing will. Folks, Jesus rose from the dead, but you can't get out of bed? Something's wrong. Sometimes it's just that we're not desperate. We just don't see our need for help. Here is a guy who clearly understood his need and wanted to do anything to gain victory. Psalm 119, 147. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I've put my hope in your word. Now, if you're not currently a morning person, it can change. Your relationship with God is renewed every morning. Lamentations 3, 23 and 23. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And of course, let's make sure that we're not confusing plain old laziness with the struggle to keep our eyes open in the morning. Make an effort to push through. Start going to bed earlier. Number five, the fifth reason to have a morning quiet time is that it forces us to deny ourselves. Think about this one. Could saying, I'm not a morning person, just be another way of saying, I don't want to deny myself? Luke 9.23. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. One of the biggest struggles in following Christ is the struggle to deny ourselves. Yet, if we truly want to be a disciple of Jesus... It is an absolute requirement that we put him first, regardless of how we feel. Number six, morning is God's time to teach you. Isaiah 50 verse four, the Lord has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. Number seven, make seeking God 
your first priority. Don't let distractions, well, distract you. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So, there you have it. Seven sound reasons to have a quiet time in the morning and two amazing secrets designed to take your quiet times to the next level. Let's give God the priority he should have by meeting with him the first thing every morning. And let's make sure we are taking notes when we pray. Try these things, even for a couple of days, and see what happens. You will never be sorry or have an ounce of regret that you took even some small action which might bring you a little bit closer to God. I have a feeling he is always looking forward to blessing a faith that obeys. Well, thanks for listening. Join the argument at www.afaiththatobeys.org slash blog.